0: Before we jump into the doxology that begins in verse 20, it would be appropriate to review the prayer because it very much sets us up for a proper understanding of those last two verses. The prayer, as you'll remember from our study last week, is lengthy and the argument is, in a sense, very convoluted it is not a simple request, if we can say it like that, and we need to consider carefully what exactly is Paul asking for. To begin with, we noted that his prayer is one for spiritual strength. The first request that he lists in this prayer is that the Christians in Ephesus would be strengthened, not physically, not temporarily, but in their inner being by the Holy Spirit. The reason that Paul prays that prayer for spiritual strength is so that, verse 17, Christ would dwell in their hearts through faith. And you'll remember I pointed out Paul is not there praying for their salvation, it's not his intent. He's writing to believers, Christians. When he uses that phrase of Christ dwelling in their hearts, that's not a prayer for salvation. But the thought of it is that Christ would be pleased to make his home in their hearts. He does dwell there. They have received the saving grace of the gospel. Paul's desire is that Christ would be pleased to make his home in their hearts He wouldn't be there seeing sin that was not being dealt with. He wouldn't be there at odds with so much in their lives, but rather the house has become a home and Christ delights to be found in their hearts. In that sense, Paul's prayer for strength brings into view the doctrine of sanctification. As Paul's desire is that Christ would dwell in their hearts, be pleased to make his home there, he is, in essence, asking that God would strengthen these Christians to do what is necessary to fight their sin and to pursue all that honors the Lord Jesus. It is a prayer that they would pursue the path of sanctification. That is not the sum total of the prayer. There is more to the argument that Christ may dwell in their hearts. Why? So that in his dwelling, the Christians would grow more and more in their apprehension of Christ's love for them. You see, there is this wonderful relationship that is inferred by Paul's prayer as they are strong to pursue holiness, and Christ is more and more pleased to call their hearts his home, the outworking is that they would grow in their estimation, their appreciation for just how vast is Christ's love for them. That's why I said last week, those who don't pursue the path of holiness are generally those that have a low estimation of Christ's love. It is when you pursue that path of holiness, of honoring the Lord Jesus, that you can only grow in your knowledge of how great his love is for us. And Paul wants for them to comprehend, to know the unknowable to grasp together with all the saints what is the height and length and depth and breadth of the love of Christ. But even there, that's not the sum total of the prayer. There is one last phrase at the end of 19. I pray for strength so that Christ would dwell in order that you might comprehend his love so that you would be filled with the fullness of God. And I paraphrase that last phrase, the last few words of verse 19, as equivalent to saying, so that you would more faithfully represent God to one another. And the reason for my paraphrase, the reason I try to sum up what it means to be filled with the fullness of God in that way is because the context, remember, is very much one of a bridge from chapters 2 and 3 into 4, 5, and 6. In 2 and 3, Paul has been laboring the the reality of their unity together. In 4, 5, and 6, he's about to set them to work, to walk the walk that is worthy of the manner of the calling they have received, and so of paramount importance, is that they would faithfully represent God to one another. That is Paul's prayer for the believers in Ephesus. That's all review. We then come to verses 20 and 21. Still part of the prayer. Paul is still praying, and he prays what we often call a doxology. It is a an explosion of praise from Paul's heart. As he himself meditates upon the glorious realities embedded in his prayer in verses 14 through 19, his heart then erupts in praise for his Father in heaven. He can't contain himself. And so he writes these concluding verses, a doxology, that we study this evening. As it relates to the prayer itself, how does the doxology function? It teaches us not only how we ought to think about God, but how we then pray to him. In this sense, the doxology mirrors the opening verse of the prayer. Remember last week as we considered how Paul opened the prayer, we noted his very specific language addressing his father in heaven from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. Paul is at the opening of his prayer asserting the lordship of God, the authority and the supremacy of God over all things, and that sets the tone for his prayer. It informs his own heart as to how he ought to pray. In the same way, the last two verses, this doxology instructs us again. At the conclusion of the prayer, it instructs us again as to how we should think of God and in turn how we should come to him in prayer. It's a lesson in the theology of the Father. It is an instructive text that should elicit from us praise and worship and adoration and should fuel our own prayers. So, I think we could identify at least three attributes of God that are on display in this Doxology, and that's how we'll work through the text this evening, noting three attributes of God that should instruct us concerning our thoughts of Him and our prayers to Him. The first being, very simply, God's power. God's strength is on display in the doxology as the Apostle Paul writes, Now to Him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. Probably familiar words to you. You maybe have read these words many times before and have obtained some measure of encouragement from them, and that's exactly the point Paul is demonstrating to us the surpassing power of God and his ability to answer our prayers. If ever there was an emphatic statement in the Bible, this is it. Consider, Paul says, now to him, God the Father, who is able. So that's the assertion that he wants to make. God is able to answer our prayers, but he's not content to stop there. Paul goes on, now, to him who is able to do far more. Okay, so what Paul is saying there is not only is God able to answer our prayers, but in fact, he's able to do far more than what we might think to ask for. But again, Paul is not content to stop there as he's forming this emphatic statement, now, to him who's able to do far more abundantly. How much more is God able to meet our prayers, to answer them? He is able far more abundantly. But Paul is not content to end the sentence there, and so he goes on. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask. But he doesn't stop there. He says, ask or think. Consider it, God... Is so powerful that he's able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or don't ask. The thoughts that we think and yet fail to bring to God. Even there, God is able to answer our petitions. That which we ask or think, he is far more abundantly able to grant. Paul is deliberate in just how emphatic he is as he strives to set on display the power of God. Now, we don't want to divorce this from its immediate context. Consider the reality of this statement in light of the prayer that Paul has just prayed. God is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think as he prays that God would strengthen the Christians in Ephesus. It is a prayer that brings into view the doctrine of sanctification. God is able to answer that prayer. So as you come before God with all of your sins in view, you know wherein you fail God. You know what are the sins that you keep revisiting and seemingly cannot get mastery over. You know wherein there is much dishonor and disgrace in your life as it relates to the gospel. And so great might it be that it drives you to despair and causes you to even entertain the belief that I am stuck in this rut and I can't get beyond this sin and Paul says God is far more abundantly able to strengthen you. If you would bring that request to this powerful God and pray believing in his strength and his ability to answer your prayer, understand he is able. Far more abundantly able to strengthen you in your inner being so that Christ is pleased to dwell in your hearts. We could go on considering continually that prayer. Would God strengthen you so that Christ would dwell in your hearts? From time to time, I'll speak to a Christian who feels like they're missing out. They, they're not like other Christians. I look around me and everyone is delighting so readily in the things of the gospel. I look around me and everyone is doing so well in the Lord and I'm missing something. I don't share their joy. Every so often I'll have that kind of conversation as if they're saying, I don't know that Christ is dwelling, abounding in my heart. God is far more abundantly able to answer the request that God would dwell in your hearts through faith. God is far more abundantly able to answer your your prayer, your desire that you would live a life wherein Christ is formed in you. That your affections for him would be renewed day after day. It's not a magical request. It's not beyond your grasp. It is entirely part of the Christian life that you would renew your affections for Christ on a daily basis and rejoice to walk with him. Delight to be in his word and to seek him out in communion and fellowship with the saints Bring the request to God, because he is far more abundantly able to answer that prayer. Think about how the prayer progresses, that you would be strengthened to understand the enormity of Christ's love. This is not an academic pursuit, it is a spiritual endeavour. And as much as you may feel like you have barely scratched the surface of the enormity of Christ's love as it comes to us through the cross, God is far more abundantly able to enlarge your heart to see his love, to grasp his love. God is far more abundantly able to keep renewing your heart to the wonders of the gospel. So that you never ever need to feel like you're not progressing in the Christian life, in your relationship with Christ. But he is always, by his grace, moving you on to a deeper, deeper love for him in response to a growing awareness of his love for you. And of course, then Paul concludes, the goal of all of this is that you would be filled with the fullness of God, that in the fellowship of believers, you would more faithfully represent God to one another. God is far more abundantly able to answer that request. If you would bring to him, believing, trusting that he hears you and is pleased and able to answer, You pray to this almighty God in heaven and ask very simply that you would be a faithful representative of him each and every Lord's Day. As I come to church, Father, would you render in me a faithfulness to your character? Would my conduct and my speech be such in the congregation this morning that I represent you? I know the wickedness of my heart. I know how I have failed you. Even this week, would you hear my prayer and answer that I would be a faithful representative of you this morning? Paul says God is far more abundantly able to answer that prayer. If I was to ask you whether you believe these truths, I'm sure you would say yes. There may be struggles in your heart, theological truths that you wrestle with and struggle to reconcile. I don't imagine that the strength of the Lord is one of them necessarily, at least not in theory. The way in which we show our readiness to doubt the power of God is through very practically our prayerlessness. It isn't a thought that we foster in our hearts that God is insufficient that he's incapable, that he is somehow lacking in strength. We don't tend to foster that kind of thinking in our hearts. We would readily champion the power of God. But day by day, we evidence a different belief, one that so often gains root in our hearts that God is not able to answer our prayers, and it is manifest through our prayerlessness. Last week we sang, what a friend I have in Jesus. And I love to go back to that one verse, oh, what peace we often forfeit, what needless pain we bear, all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. The doxology of Ephesians 3, verse 20 and 21 should instruct our hearts concerning the strength of our God. His ability and his readiness to answer our prayers. It goes even beyond what we ask to that which we don't ask but think. And he is powerful to answer. Our responsibilities to think about him in this way and to approach him in prayer is a powerful, able God. From God's power, we then might observe God's wisdom. Paul, in his doxology, sets on display not only God's strength, but his wisdom. And I'm looking here at the second half of verse 20. He writes, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us. Now as you read that phrase, you might think, surely there Paul is simply stating again the truth concerning God's strength, his ability, according to the power that is at work within us. And certainly that is true. Paul is pointing out and reminding us that there is a power that is at work from God in us, testifying again to his strength. But at the same time, Paul is bringing into view the wisdom of God. And the reason that I say that is because, as so many of you know, Paul has referenced this power already in this letter. If you have memorized Ephesians 1, and so many of you have now, you will remember That towards the end of Ephesians 1, Paul made mention of the power that is at work within us. And then he told us it is the same power that was at work so as to raise Christ from the dead. He was very deliberate in pointing out the power that is at work in the Christian is not a different power. It's not a different strength. It is the same power that it was at work when God raised his son from the dead. And that points us towards the reality that God is working according to a plan. He exercised this power so as to raise his son from the dead and testify to his victory over death and sin. We might, in that respect, label it as a gospel power. It is a redemptive power. The power that is at work in us was first seen as it relates to Christ when God raised him from the dead. And that declared to all that would pay attention that this man has victory over death and sin. And you ought to put your faith in him and follow him because he is the one that can give newness of life. It is a gospel power that Paul brings into view when he says, according to the power at work within us. The power that God works out in our lives is one that is centered on his redemptive plan. Now that is significant because it teaches us a lesson about answered prayer. When you pray, God answers your prayer in accordance with his plan. He doesn't answer your prayer in accordance with your plan. He answers your prayer in accordance with his plan. If your prayers go unanswered, Because they didn't accord with his plan. We often appeal to this truth from a slightly different angle. We'll often say something like, when your prayers aren't answered, it is because they weren't best for you. And I want to affirm that that's true. God is working for your good in all things. If your prayers go unanswered, it's because you're not asking that which is best for you. But from here, this text, we might turn that same truth and approach it and state it like this. If your prayers go unanswered, they don't accord with God's redemptive plan. He's not going to advance his power according to a request that doesn't honor the work and the advancement of the gospel. That is why... We can pray with great confidence the prayers of the Bible. If you're at a loss for what to pray, open your Bible and pray it. One of the very best pieces of advice I can give you as it relates to your prayer life is to pray Scripture. Read the truth and pray it back to God then you know that your prayers accord with his will. Pray these prayers and there is no doubt in your mind that you are praying prayers that fit with his redemptive power. And my, how does God honor those prayers? God is delighted when you pray to him by way of example, Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 21. Get on your knees and pray this prayer. This could be your prayer day after day after day. And you need not pray other things because you know that you are asking a prayer that fits exactly with his will. And it is up to God exactly how he answers that prayer in your life. It may not be exactly as you think he might, but rest assured he will answer it. Because you are now asking in accordance with his plan. And so the power that raised his son from the dead will be at work in you. Is it wrong to pray other prayers? To pray that the Lord might grant you this particular job or this particular opportunity? Certainly not. God wants for you to bring your requests to him. But understand that this power that Paul refers to here is a gospel power. And the prayers that God is especially pleased to answer are those that are concerned with advancing his gospel. And so we see on display something of God's wisdom in this doxology. The third and final attribute of God on display in these two verses is very simply God's glory. We see God's power, we see his wisdom, we see God's glory in verse 21 as Paul writes to him "Be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Now again, Paul is not praying that God would be glorious. God is glorious. God exudes glory. The sentiment of verse 21 is very much akin to the sentiment of chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That was a prayer, a petition on Paul's part to the Christians. Let your life bless God because he has blessed you. In the same way, fast forward to chapter 3, verse 21, God is glorious. May you glorify him. We can see that not only in the way in which Paul writes that thought, but even just giving attention to the very last word. Amen. Amen. We sound the amen at the end of our prayers. What do we mean when we say that word? It is taken From an Old Testament word which has as its root the notion of truth. When you say Amen, you are indicating that you agree with the sentiment just prayed and you are asking, let it be so. I agree and affirm and join in with that prayer. Amen, may it now come to pass. You are asserting the truthfulness of the prayer. As Paul concludes his prayer with the Amen, his desire is that the Christians in Ephesus would join with him in all that he has said about God. Would you, it is an invitation, would you Christians in Ephesus, would you Christians here this evening join with Holy Scripture and affirm all that is given to us about our glorious God this evening, not least that he is glorious. I love the hymn that we sing, praise to the Lord. The Almighty, the King of creation, as you move forward, there is a line in there, let the people of God sound the Amen. And I wonder if we understand just how wonderful a picture is painted by that one lyric. It is not simply saying that the people of God would say the word again, but rather they would join in the work of the gospel and the proclamation of Christ and embrace anew every Sunday morning all that is true about God. Let the Amen sound from His people again. Embrace anew all that scripture tells us about God and live your lives in accordance with those truths. That is the sentiment of verse 21 as Paul rounds off this glorious prayer. Notice, his appeal is that there would be an articulation of this glory in the church and in Christ Jesus. It's interesting, it's the only doxology in all of Scripture where the church is found side by side with Christ Jesus. It's unique in that respect. Let there be a manifestation, an articulation of God's glory, an affirmation of his glory in the church and in Christ Jesus. Now, that is not to say that Paul is there equating the church with the Lord Jesus. They're not equals. Lord Jesus is our head. He is our authority. We sit under him. But the point of placing both terms side by side in this closing verse of the doxology is to set our expectations. To wake us up as to what is expected of us as the church. There is undoubtedly A showcasing of God's glory in Christ Jesus. That is not to be denied. Read through the gospel narratives and see how Christ put his father on display to all that would look at him. There was a very clear, consistent articulation of God the Father's glory in the life of Christ Jesus. May it be the same in the church. That is Paul's appeal. That's his desire. That's his prayer. Just as there was a manifestation of God's glory in Christ Jesus. May there be a constant manifestation of his glory in the church. How are we to honor this Prayer. what for our part must we do to ensure that there is a very clear and evident display of God's glory in us and through us as a church? I would say three things. Very practically, we have to know who we are. And what I mean by that is we have to know Ephesians 1 through 3. We now come to a turning point in the book. Everything up until now has been rich, rich theology, so centered on the church. If God is to be glorified amongst us, we have to know who we are. You must understand and spend time giving your heart to the truths of Ephesians 1 through 3. I guess my point is you can't be done with these first three chapters as we keep moving on in our series. I would encourage you. To make time this week before we step into chapter four, would you make time this week to sit down with your Bible before the Lord and read again in its entirety, chapters one through three of Ephesians, asking that Lord would open your eyes again to the wonderful reality of the church? Keep reading. To know who we are, so that God would be glorified amongst us. Secondly, I would say, very practically, pray this prayer. I said this last week, I wonder how many of you prayed this prayer in the last few days. Would you pray this prayer consistently for our church? Would you come before the Lord with all of your requests and burdens, all of your trials, all of your petitions, and would you add to them this prayer, seeking that God would strengthen our hearts so that we would more fully apprehend the love of his Son, so that we would more faithfully represent him to one another? And finally, pray that God would prepare our hearts for the commands that come in the second half of the letter. There will be a change. I trust as we move into chapters 4, 5, and 6, you will feel the difference. Paul lays out the theology of the church in the first three chapters, and then very deliberately he starts to give the so what in the second half of the letter, and you'll find that there'll be so many imperatives to try to get our arms around. It feels very different. We must pray that the Lord would prepare our hearts to obey. He has a plan for us. He has a design for us as we study this letter. We must prepare that our hearts would be ready to obey the commands of Scripture, Because it is through obedience to these imperatives that the glory of God would be showcased amongst us. It is through commands to these imperatives that we would see God's glory in one another. It's as we submit ourselves one Sunday evening after the next to the imperatives of Ephesians 4 through 6 that God's glory would be manifest to a watching world and they would be compelled and drawn to the glory of our Father in heaven through Christ. As Paul closes this doxology, he sets on display God's power, his wisdom, and his glory. May we be faithful to think of God in this way and so to pray to him. Would you pray with me now as we close? Father, we do bow our knees before you this evening. The Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. That according to the riches of your glory, you would grant us to be strengthened. With power through your spirit in our inner being. So that Christ would dwell in our hearts through faith. So that we, being rooted and grounded in love, would have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge so that we may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to you, who are able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to you be glory in this church and in Christ Jesus, Throughout all generations, we pray forever and ever. Amen.